2: On News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
1: This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can we help you this evening? Hi. Hi. How
4: are you? Good. Um, great. Uh, glad to hear that you're on the phone uh, radio discussing this. I have a quick question. All right. Um, I have no debt other than a mortgage. Okay. Uh, I was given a loan that I shouldn't have gotten. I was making 42000 a year, and um, they gave me a $200,000 loan. And my, now, after 24 years, my husband walked out on me. Just recently got a job after two years, uh, just last week. I have, I'm...
2: Congratulations. I'm not, thank you.
4: <laughs> um, I'm not up, I have uh, not paid my mortgage in eight months. Because I just didn't have the money. I had no income coming in whatsoever. Oh,
3: oh
4: I'm sorry. And so I don't know what to do. And I'm I have responsibilities where I need my property. Um, well, and
2: what's the value of the house?
4: Uh, I just had it appraised, and it was valued at that uh, at two hundred eighty thousand. Okay. Right, and I owe one hundred ninety six.
2: So you're living in the house.
4: I am living in a house. I every day I wonder whether I'm going to get that knock on the door with the notice. I haven't gotten it yet. The only thing is someone said to me, "Well, you know Judy, that was a dirty loan." And there were
3: Ro,
1: let a- me ask you a question. What does the uh-huh. rest of your financial position look like? You say you're what, you're 50 uh, How old I'm are you?
4: 55. You're
1: 55 years old. Correct. And uh-huh. you're di- and you're divorced, right?
4: Well, no, I'm working on that. It's just taking a heck of a long time.
1: Okay, so you're still married separated. in the process. You're separated. Right. What does the yeah. investment portfolio look like that you own?
4: Uh, right now, I've got uh, 200000 and a 401K. All right. And um, basically, right now, that's all I have because I had to use some stock to live. So I have some stock in that, that, that 200000 and then I have just
1: investment and that way. in the 401k uh-huh. that, that's a previous employment right correct okay and cuz you say you just got a new job
4: uh, yeah working back to where i was working where i got the four, where i have all that 401k which is
1: nice well i was going to ask you when you when you left the previous employment you had an option to do an a rollover from the 401k to an ira correct correct and you didn't exercise that option.
4: Um. See, this is where I get uh, fumbled because my ex-husband did all this, and so you know, I don't. I'm I'm almost a juvenile when it comes to this. I I do have it, and part of it is in a different hand right now, which is now in an IRA. Does that make sense?
3: No, not yet. Go ahead, get started. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face to face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919 872 7000. That's 919 872 7000.
1: You haven't gone through a quadro or anything with a court dividing up the, uh, the, 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 the assets, the retirement assets, retirement. have you?
4: No, but what we have done is we've done a um, mediation. We did mediation, we did equitable distribution. He's still on the deed, but he wants no
1: part of any of no, it. No, no, I, w- I want to hear about the 401k. The 401 k is mine. It's yours. It's and you haven't si- you haven't signed over to him any rights to it. Oh, no way. Okay. No way. All right. In a 401k, you cannot he could not access it. I uh, if it was an I uh, well, even that there's special rules. Yep. I I think you should, yeah, jot down my phone number and call the office because I think that you may have more options available to you than you know.
4: Oh, hopefully.
1: I really do. Yeah,
2: yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Let's, let's see okay. we can come up with some solutions.
4: Oh, wonderful. That'd be great. And it's tell me your first name again. Roe, R-O-E.
2: Oh, okay. Roe. Okay. Yeah. All right, Roe. Give me a call at the office and our number in Raleigh is uh, 919-872-7000. Okay. That's USA seven thousand. Oh, wonderful! Thank yeah, and write so down. Much. Yeah, write down your questions, and uh, we'll be happy to see what we can do to help you.
4: Yes, I'd like to work this house thing out. So, okay, great. Um, thank you so much. You All guys. right, we really provide a great public service. Oh, thank,
2: thank you. you so much, Roe. You have a wonderful yep. week. You too. Bubba. All right, take care. There's an
1: article, "The Secrets of the Four Hundred One K Millionaires," and I thought it was sort of interesting. It was in today's News and Observer. In the uh, Wall Street Journal section, but it said that there was a recent study done by the Employee Benefit Research Institute that computed and tried to figure out where do these 401k millionaires, where they come from? And it said even among employees 55 years and older, those who have been contributing to their 401k for more than 20 years, only 2% of them have cracked the million dollar mark. And that's sort of surprising when you think about our clients who have been contributing for so many years, and, and they've all cracked the million-dollar mark so easily, So some of them. And then the article went on to try and figure out, well, what made those millionaires millionaires? really interesting. Listen to this. It says, the one characteristic that differentiates the winners from the non-winners is contribution rate a high percentage of those million-dollar savers had constant participation and high contribution rates, what we call pay-yourself-first, to absolutely stick to a pay-yourself-first plan. And then, uh, you know, the article went on to say that many savers could be scared and thinking getting to a million dollars would be impossible, even if you've got a 40-year uh, timeline in front of you. And But it, it said that a person... Earning a modest income, even somebody earning thirty-five thousand a year, if they save twelve to thirteen percent of their income, including the company match, if they get an annual raise of three and a half percent a year, and they get an annual return of seven percent on their portfolio, they would save a million dollars. I thought that was just intriguing because so often you and I we look at the the joy that we've had, the honor that we've had of helping so many become millionaires, what we call the middle-class millionaires, that this sort of like confirmed the fact that uh, it's not unattainable.
2: Well, I was reflecting um, so many of our listeners that have called in at the office, uh, especially in the, uh, the two-income uh, earner families. Some of them are just, you know, so diligent after 20 years, almost 30 years, working for the same employer. Mm-hmm. And as the article stated, this is what these folks have been doing. Month by month, paycheck by paycheck, they've been accumulating in the retirement plan that's been provided for them. And with advice, they've also been accumulating on the personal side. Right. And so you have a balanced portfolio. And month by month, year by year, decade by decade, until retirement comes, and then – Financial independence how many times
1: how many times can you remember sitting in the office and asking someone you know you've got well over a million dollars of investments do you feel like and they all well, what do they always say? <laughs> no I
2: don't feel like one
1: don't feel like it but so they on paper,
2: they they
1: they they've got the accumulation but they haven't been blowing it. They've still got middle class values. And they have diligently been accumulating. And I think that is the secret. Not like winning the super lottery or the super lotto.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Doug and Linda on uh, Money Matters. And... uh We're on News Radio
3: 680 WPTF. If you want to call us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000, and we will get started. We'll make a list of the questions that are on your mind.
1: What's new in the area of tax planning? Was anything uh, new this past week in tax planning?
2: Well, there certainly was a very interesting article last weekend about a shock of a $24,000 tax bill, and that was in the Wall Street Journal. And uh, let me give you the scenario. An investor out of Phoenix received a surprise tax bill for $24,321. And it was for units of a master limited partnership uh, that was affiliated with Kinder Morgan uh, Incorporated that was held in his Roth individual retirement account. And the total included nearly 6,000 of late filing fees and interest. Well, you can imagine what this man felt. Here, he had a Roth IRA and he had purchased an investment in um, his IRA and he owed this money and it was coming out of his IRA uh, and it was the first that he had heard of it.
1: Yeah, I think that many people aren't aware of what are MLPs or Master Limited Partnerships. These investments, and they are well-known amongst investment people like myself for giving very high cash flow income. Uh, They do, indeed. They typically transport, store, produce, and refine energy and then pass out the bulk of their earnings to shareholders. Now, thousands of investors holding MLPs and IRAs at other firms could, and this is the risky thing, I think, from the news that we're hearing, they could face similar taxes that they're not aware of because you don't expect there to be taxes in an IRA. Right. The whole idea of an IRA is that... It's a uh,
3: tax-deferred environment.
1: It's a (laughs) tax-deferred environment. (laughs) Exactly. And yet, this matter of taxation inside an IRA, and of course, you can imagine this chap here getting a bill for (laughs) $24,000. That's a mind-blower. Well, the unexpected bills are painful reminders to investors, I think, that Master Limited Partnerships or MLPs, uh, they can have tax traps.
3: Yeah. So people need to understand what they're investing in, especially the taxes and the fees. I mean... Really, you need to know what the rules are. Under the tax code, IRAs and Roth IRAs have significant benefits, such as tax-free growth. That's why we go into them. But when owners use IRA funds to invest in partnerships, as opposed to stocks, bonds, and funds, they owe tax on certain annual income from the partnership, exceeding $1,000 because of an anti-abuse provision. This levy is known as Unrelated business income tax, or UBTI, its top rate of thirty nine point six percent can take effect at about twelve thousand of taxable income.
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is something to always be aware of, and we, uh, of course, all the time are looking at this in our own clients' portfolios to make sure there is no UBTI because UBTI is a it's a terrible thing inside of an IRA. Well, then there's a further twist that happens is who pays the tax? Who's responsible for it? When the tax is due, you would think it's John who owns the IRA, but no, it's not John. It's the custodian of the IRA, and it might be Pershing or Charles uh, Schwab or uh, uh, whoever, whoever the custodian is, they're the ones that have to go ahead and... Uh, and deal with this they got to sign they got to file the tax return they're responsible for obtaining a special tax ID number then not only they get filing and signing the IRA owner is responsible of course for paying the tax but because of this tremendous complexity experts often like myself caution advisors investors to avoid putting MLPs and publicly traded partnerships Into IRAs.
3: If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919 872 7000. 919 872 7000. That's right. And a lot of this is because the custodian is really the person who's going to be telling the. Um the IRS on a regular annual basis, hey, this is not really owned yet by Joe or Jane Investor, and they don't owe taxes on it. So that's why the custodian will be the one who's responsible for having to pay the taxes, and it has to come out of that you know, that investor's account. So this should be a big caution for you if you have any uh, questions as to whether or not any of your investments in your IRA or your Roth IRA might be running the risk of having an unrelated business income tax or UBIT. UBTI. Well it's it's said both ways. Yeah, in the yeah, article yeah. here oh. it's it's both. But um but really it's just knowing whether or not the there might be a tax that you might not know is looming in there. And if so, let's get ahead of it. Let's look at your IRA, your Roth IRA. Give us a call during the week at nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand.
1: Hi David, this is Doug Lewis. How can I help you this evening?
5: Hey, um I'm just wondering to know how to when you got kids just starting out, um as teens or out of college or whatnot, and starting almost from zero, what do you, where do you even get them started saving? So, how, how does a person start out, a young person or an older one, for that matter, who's for whatever reason sort of starting over again from zero? Well,
1: uh, well let me let me help you correct a, a misconception. I started, and I've been doing this professionally now for. 30 years, but I started my own children investing with about $100 a month back in, oh, when they were how old? Golly day. Some of them were.
2: They were kids. In their
1: teens, early teens. So, uh, you don't have to have a lot of money to, uh, invest in mutual funds. And mutual funds are the proper vehicle in most cases, uh, to help a, uh, a young adult, as they're starting in life, accumulate. As I say, that in that very interesting article said that a, a person earning only $35,000. Now, that's a pretty modest income, 35000 And if they get a 12% uh, match, I'm sorry, if they save 12% of their income, including whatever the company matches them. So maybe they uh, put aside 8 or 9%. And if they get a pay raise of 3% a year, they can accumulate a million dollars over their working years. So you don't need to have a whole bunch.
2: How Do you have children, David? I do. How many kids? Uh, two, 111, and 115. Okay.
1: Those are good ages yeah, to Yeah, they're start. good
2: ages. And, you know, it might be advantageous for you as their dad, you and your wife, to... Come in and have a session where you can get educated, you know, because it starts with cash flow. You know, you've got your income, which is your salary or, you know, investment income, whatever income you're getting, you have that as literally
5: go somewhere with a hundred dollars and start into a mutual fund. Oh,
2: absolutely. Absolutely. And,
1: you know, I also used to go ahead and teach my kids that if you earn selling, you know, your brownie cookies or your, or whatever you're doing, washing cars, while, uh, cutting grass, you're whatever you're it. earning, you shouldn't spend all of it. You should spend some of sure. it, but you should get the habit of putting aside maybe 10 or 12% of it into something that will grow. And a lot of the mutual fund companies that I know of, or several of them that I like, they have educational material on letting youngsters and people learn the lesson Of compound interest. You know, Einstein said the laws of compound return are the eighth natural wonder in the world. It's incredible to watch what can happen. Mm -hmm. And they have that magic in their uh, favor called time. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, it's wonderful to watch these youngsters that do get it, get it. And then by the time they're in college, uh, boy, they're on their way. I mean, we've seen several that have come to us in their 40s that have already become financially independent with a million dollars. They have made it because mm-hmm. they they caught these principles early. Yeah.
2: And that that's something that that would be a gift to your children at early ages, you know, because as parents, you know, our kids... They don't do without, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. We yeah. give them, and there's yeah. too much technology, and they have all this stuff at their fingertips. Wealthy but the barber. Mo- yeah. And then there's a book that you might want to read. Um, mm-hmm. David, it's called The Wealthy Barber. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, written by, uh,
1: David Chilton.
2: David Chilton. He was, a... Mm-hmm. I believe he's a certified financial planner. He was
1: a financial planner who later became a stand-up comic, and he wrote a great book, which I like to give to clients when they come to my office. It's fun, but it teaches some of the basic principles.
2: It's a, it's in story form, so you might enjoy that. And then give me a call at the office if you'd like any further information.
4: Sure. Okay?
2: okay? All right. Bye. Take Thanks care. Thank you so much for calling. So, Doug, it is important uh, at an early age, or at any age, right? To be saving.
1: It's never too early. It's never too late. Exactly. The client I met with last week was 98 years old, one of them. And it's not too late for her. And we've met with some that are in their teens. So it's never too early. It's never too late. The principles are the same.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website. Dougandlinda.com. dot That's DougandLinda dot com. Well, Doug, what's new in the world of investment planning?
1: Well, you know, Lynn, I think the big question about a lot of people with regard to their mutual funds is, what about the mutual fund personality? You know, not many people realize that every mutual fund has its own personality. In other words, it's characterized primarily by its investment objectives, and they're called the mutual fund type and the policies that it follows towards achieving those objectives. Now, it may be the stodgy personality of a government bond fund that holds primarily super safe treasury bonds for income, or it could be the flashy personality of an aggressive growth fund which is mainly to increase share price by buying high-rising, fast-moving companies. But sometimes a mutual fund's personality, Lynn, is not what the fund shareholder initially thought it was. And in some cases, the fund's personality has changed over time. Having a misleading personality doesn't necessarily mean that a mutual fund is going to perform badly, on the other hand. On the contrary, one top-performing mutual fund, which was characterized as a growth-in-income fund, appeared to achieve its success by emphasizing growth, not income. The income portion was very low for conservative investors who bought the fund primarily for steady income and didn't really want growth. So the question of the personality is very important.
2: And uh, typically, a fund's personality is described in its prospectus. It may say that it seeks capital appreciation or current income with low volatility of principal. And in turn, the fund rating services and financial publications classify funds in specific categories such as aggressive growth or international based on the prospectus, right, Doug? Right.
1: The prospectus, in addition, can state what the minimum and the maximum percentages of a particular type of investment, like, you know, junk bonds or aggressive stocks, or two thirds at least will be invested in government securities. The guidelines, however, may allow a lot of leeway. Two funds investing in the same ratio, for example, 60% stocks and 40% bonds, could be still called balanced funds, but while one fund focuses on conservative blue chips and high-quality bonds, the other fund could be betting on more speculative small companies and higher-risk junk bonds. In fact, one recent analysis of mutual fund portfolios showed that over half of the funds it analyzed were misclassified.
3: You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website, DougAndLinda.com. So, Doug, how can you tell if a
2: fund truly matches its name or its classification? What exactly are the clues that it may be different than you thought it
1: was? Well, without sounding too uh, um, self-seeking, it certainly helps to go see a certified financial planner. But if you could do it on your own, read the prospectus carefully. Find out, does it give the fund manager a narrow or a wide latitude in what he or she can invest in? The wider the latitude, the greater the chance that the performance and the volatility can deviate from your expectations. So the first thing is, read the prospectus.
2: Secondly, you want to pay particular attention to the annual and the semi-annual reports to see if what the fund actually buys matches its classification and its character, right?
1: Yeah, the annual reports are very good because that way you can really get a, a, a picture of how close the annual report is to the prospectus. Now, if the fund's returns are unusually higher or lower than the average returns for similar funds in its category, then that could be a sign that the fund has changed category or belongs in another category. And I guess the last thing is to follow the fund carefully after a change in fund managers. If your fund has changed its manager or the manager has left, uh, then you got to watch that real, real careful. And very often, a new manager comes in, and he just wants to go ahead and try it his way or her way, and uh, you may end up with a very different personality.
2: Well, let's look at what are some of the the types of uh, fund personalities that are out there, the different types of funds, Doug. Okay. Well,
1: right away at the top of the risk scale and the top of the return potential, you have your aggressive growth funds. You also have your international funds. Then you have your growth funds, which are different from aggressive growth. Then you have your precious metals, and then you have your growth and income funds, which I believe should be the base of your portfolio. Then when you get into the bond category, you have your high-yield corporate bonds, which are called junk bonds. And then you have your balanced funds, and then you have your equity income funds, and then you have your fixed income funds, and then there's a category called U.S. government bond funds. So those are the major fund categories or some of the major fund categories an emerging markets category personality there watch out if your mutual fund may have changed
2: okay very good well Deborah, many of our listeners that call in and schedule appointments uh, with us have a question that comes up many times during a typical week a typical week uh huh and that question is I have a 401k How should it be invested? And of course, that that caller, Tom, he wanted to
3: know, what should I do with this? Rollover, right? That's exactly right. It's 401k money that needs to be rolled over. That's right. It's a typical question. Uh, whether or not you know what to invest in in your 401k can often consume a lot of unnecessary time. The real answer is you should first get a list of options that are available to you in your plan. The list will include which investments you can buy as an employee of that company and a participant in that employer's plan. When you put money into these investments, you're hoping that they will increase in value until you want to retire. So you need to know what these investments are, and then you need to know what you can expect from those investments, and then you've got to find the right ones for you. Most people don't feel comfortable doing this on their own, so they call us at Lewis Financial Management because they know they need the help of a certified financial planner. This is one of the many things we do at Lewis Financial Management. So, if knowing what to invest in in your 401k is important and on your mind, give us a call this week, 919 872 7000. That's 919 872
1: 7000. You know, actually, uh, I saw just yesterday we got an email from a listener who wants to schedule an appointment with us, and that's the I think that was her second question that she wanted to know Mm -hmm. what investments I should have in my 401k, how to select them. It is indeed exactly, as you said, Linda and Deborah, uh, one of the most common questions we get, because how does the individual employee at any company know anything about investments? So if you're out there listening right now and you're just beginning – and this is the way we would do it, you would pick the first investment. And once you accumulate a few thousand dollars, then you'll need to pick the next investment. And you're building a portfolio of investments so that when you retire, your own assets that can be sold to produce an income to you during retirement. These investments should complement each other so that the entire 401k has the best chance to increase in size.
2: And over your lifetime, you may have accumulated, you know, in a large IRA or for, uh, in a large 401k as much as 100,000, uh, 500,000, and for some folks, um, over a million. And then you really need to
3: know if it's invested properly. You'll want these investments to complement your non-retirement investments also. So, is it time for you to see if you need to make some changes? Call us during the week to make an appointment to look at your 401k. By making an appointment with us, you will go through the options that um, are available to you and we'll advise you on what might be uh, best or better investments to help you achieve your financial goal, which is being able to retire.
1: It's sad that... Through the last 30-some years, I have rarely ever seen an employee come to me with their 401k. Uh,
3: properly f- placed? Properly <laughs> placed.
1: I usually, I ask them, well, how did you choose uh-huh. these investments? And they say, well, I don't know. I just checked off a bunch of boxes uh-huh. or uh, this one here said high risk. And this said low risk. And I, did, I don't really know how I did it. And that's the most common answer, right. which is fine because I wouldn't expect them to. But what they're not doing is seeking advice.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Doug, I was thinking of the very same thing. Is and right? what? Yeah. Yeah. We are one, aren't we? <laughs> we are. <laughs> Sometimes we think the same thing at the same moment. But it is true that a lot of folks who have, you know, diligently participated in their 401k contributions, oftentimes also procrastinate, don't they?
1: They do. They do. It's just, it's the easiest thing to do is to just say, it's probably working for me. I don't need to do anything
2: else. Yeah, and life, life gets busy and you're working and you're taking care of the kids. And it's time to get advice. So call us at Lewis Financial Management. We'll be happy to schedule an appointment with you. That number to call in Raleigh is 919 That's 919 USA 7000.
1: Herman, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can we help you this evening? How are you? Yeah.
5: Uh, Herman, I got a question. My mother's 81, uh, getting ready to sell a piece of property. To eat. That is uh, in farm use taxes. All right. And the uh, total amount is probably going to be around $550,000. right. And her taxes, she's going to be required to pay capital gains, correct?
1: Well, if there may be a way to not pay it, but it depends how far she's gone. If she has not signed anything yet, then there may be a way to avoid the capital gains tax.
5: Okay, what well, would that be, Herman? She has not signed anything.
1: All right. The property, you say, is worth 550000 Correct.
2: How many acres is that, Herman?
5: Uh, it's 13 and a half.
1: And is there any debt or mortgage on it? No, sir. All right. If, according to present tax laws, if there is no debt, and if there is nothing in writing between her and a buyer... She has the ability to create a Section 664 trust. She can then give the property to the trust. Since you are her son, she could name you as the trustee of the trust. The trust then would sell the property and pay no capital gains tax. This is one possibility because then the $550,000 is intact inside the trust And the trustee can invest the money however he or she feels is proper. Now, you would be the trustee. She could be the trustee. But at 81, she probably would rather have you be the trustee, right?
5: Okay. Yes, sir. She's going to need some of the money.
1: Well, now we come to uh, the money. The money is composed of two parts. I like to call it the chicken and the egg. You might call it the principal and the income. But if we set up a Section 664 trust, then she could get income from this at maybe, oh, 40000 a year, let's say.
3: Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your, your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919 919- 8727000 that's 9198727000
1: if that would be enough income for her oh
5: yes sir that would be fine
1: okay then the entire 550000 is intact now there are a couple of uh of of yabbas i call them YABBA, what about this YABBA, what about that you know yabbas okay right. so there are a couple of yabbas that we have to deal with uh, what happens when she dies where does the money go Is there a way to make it to make it continue paying after her death and so on but the short answer to your question is that she can she can sell this if she she can avoid the capital gains taxes if there is nothing in writing because this trust is gonna one day pass to a charity or a church or a university or or different charities. One day it has to go somewhere to a nonprofit
5: to avoid the taxes,
1: and to avoid that to avoid the taxes now. But it doesn't. Nothing has to go now. It can last for twenty years.
5: Well, is that a bad thing? Is she's at eighty-one. To let her go ahead and pay the capital gains and be finished with
1: it. Well, it might not be what you want to do. Maybe you would like to have it pay forty thousand a year for the next twenty years. Right. Maybe to you, I don't know. I'd have to meet with her and find out what her goals are. Right. But uh, many a time, we have seen ones that say, "Well, I'd like to, you know, um, I'd like to see what I can do with what I've got." Right. How many children does she have? Two. Okay. What's the size of her estate?
5: Uh probably 1.5 maybe.
1: 1.5 including this point this point 5.
5: That's right.
1: Okay. And if she sells this outright, then she's going to what lose about 200,000 in tax?
5: Well, not really. I I don't figure it that much because uh the land was bought Probably in the early fifties, and and my mother was a quarter interest. Accordingly, her, her mother, her mother and father bought half, and my mother and, and she and her husband bought half. They all deceased now.
1: Well, let me let there for the, be
5: some some area that they pick up the difference of when she inherited
1: it if I meet with you I will go over all of that and I'll help you compute all of those because that's right. what I do in my office uh, but I'm guessing there's gonna at least be a hundred and twenty thousand dollars in taxes but whatever it is she may say she doesn't care the boy you and and your brother may not care but there may be a lot of other ways to slice it. So that you don't have to pay the tax,
2: and I right. was wondering, Herman, is her home on that property right now?
5: No, it is not.
2: Oh, okay, that's well, good. Then that's good yeah. because then. But anyway, um, write down your questions. Call us at the office, Herman. Okay. Our, our number in Raleigh is 872-7000. Okay. That's USA seven thousand.
1: Okay. Yeah, because the way I'm the way I'm figuring, Linda, there's a half million dollars here that could be pumping out income to herman and his brother for the next 20 years that's for sure uh that's and then the- you know
2: along the way you want to make sure your mom's estate documents are all in order so that if something does happen to her all
5: oh, right right all
2: right all right well thank all you right. so much for calling herman and give us a call at the office all right
5: thank you very much
2: all right take care have a nice evening and have a great week well
1: Linda, uh, what's new in the area of investment planning
2: Well, Doug, you know, many of our listeners that have called in want to know, how do I know which investments to choose?
1: Good question, Lynn. Real good question. You know, a certified financial planner can first help you determine your current financial situation and your personal goals. What do you want your investments to achieve, for example? Are you investing for retirement or college education? Or do you want to raise capital to start a business?
2: And people generally are concerned about their age, uh, their net worth, what's your tax bracket, and what goals will determine what types of investments you should be in. Right, Doug?
1: Yeah, those goals in mind help your financial planner help you to prepare an investment policy statement, which is really crucial.
2: Well, Doug, what exactly is an investment policy statement? An investment policy
1: statement, Lynn, is your investment roadmap. It keeps you steady through good times and bad. It can help you quickly eliminate investment ideas that just don't fit, saving both time and costly mistakes. And it can also provide you with realistic expectations and a way to monitor the actual performance of your investments. Now, that policy statement should outline a number of things in it.
2: And some of those include your investment goals, right, Doug? And the minimum level of return that you need so that you can achieve
1: those goals. Those are important to be in the policy statement, along with what types of investments you will and will not include, and what portion of the total portfolio each investment will comprise.
2: And also, how long the assets will be in the portfolio and the anticipated inflation rate as well as the tax bracket assumptions, right?
1: Once the investment policy is in place, then it's time and only then is it time to construct an investment portfolio, Lynn. Well,
2: Doug, what exactly is an investment portfolio?
1: You know, it's a funny thing, Lynn, that you would ask that question because you think everybody knows what an investment portfolio is. But I would say 80% of the people that I meet don't know what an investment portfolio is. And what it really is is the combination of more than one investment asset such as stocks or bonds, cash, real estate, precious metals, international investments.
2: And how you and your financial planner construct this portfolio is important because different types of investments do better in different economic conditions. And, Doug, what would you say about diversifying?
1: Well, by diversifying your investments in a portfolio, you are more likely to reduce the volatility, which is a fancy word for risk, and also increase your potential
2: return. Well, Doug, what about percentages?
1: What kind of percentages? Percentages of return? That's hard to predict, Lynn. You can't do that. You can only look backwards. You can look backwards and see what percentage returns have happened over time uh, in different categories. But research does indicate that over 90% of a portfolio's performance is attributable Not to the percentage
3: returns, but to the selection and balancing of the different asset classes. Don't trust these decisions to chance. Hire the right advisor. Give us a call at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. And let us help you create a sensible plan. I've read that
2: a a mere 5% is attributable to the selection of specific funds, but only 1% to luck.
1: Yeah, 5% is, is virtually nothing. Most of the time, what makes a portfolio work or not work is not the hot investment, but it's the way that you've balanced it. And that's where the Certified Financial Planner helps you design this portfolio with the correct asset classes for you.
2: Doug, you know, some people have raised the question, why don't I just select today's hottest investments? What do you think about this?
1: Well, we hear it all the time, Lynn. Today's hottest investments, however, are oftentimes tomorrow's coldest turkeys. You know, you've got to avoid the fads and the fancies. Invest for the long term because too often people randomly pick out investments as if they're pieces of a puzzle. They'll choose a hot mutual fund they read about in a personal finance magazine or buy a piece of real estate that some cousin recommended.
2: How many times I have heard that story over and over again. And the problem is that people don't know where the pieces go because they don't have their whole investment uh, picture in front of them. And quite possibly the pieces belong to different puzzles. So, therefore, they're inappropriate for a person's portfolio. Correct?
1: Yeah, individual investments should reflect the guidelines established in the policy statement. Now, if you've had a financial plan produced, it should have a policy statement in it.
2: Our number in Raleigh is eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand.
1: But in either case, the policy statement should reflect or the investments in the portfolio should reflect what's in the policy statement
2: well Doug, other listeners wonder should i buy individual stocks or bonds or mutual funds and a lot of people have questions about what should i be in particularly if they're if they've been in cds or if they've inherited money and they want to know what should i do with this money
1: it really depends upon a lot of factors but one of them is your risk tolerance and another is the amount of money you have available to invest. And, of course, the time and the interest you and your advisor have to study, to monitor your investments, and consider the advantages and disadvantages of each depending on your own needs and circumstances.
2: Well, Doug, some of our listeners also want to know, should I consider investing overseas? Foreign stocks and foreign bonds are more
1: volatile, but they oftentimes perform better when the U.S. market performs poorly and this. You can find a way to reduce the overall risk of your portfolio.
2: You know, Doug, I've read that with many international mutual funds available, it's relatively easy to purchase a part of the rest of the world if you and your advisor find such uh, an investment appropriate.
1: Yeah, that's that's a given, Lynn. The point is that the capitalization around the world, the investment opportunities around the world are out there far and far beyond the United States. And if you're going to go ahead and participate in wealth accumulation you need to expose yourself to international investing it's a good way to balance a portfolio on the one hand because world markets don't move in perfect harmony Uh, as one market goes up another goes down and so forth and there are financial planners that are saying with the globalization and the global village that we're moving into you should have as much as sixty percent of your portfolio with some sort of foreign or worldwide exposure.
2: People also have questions about real estate and gold and oil and gas. What do you think about those? Well, those are asset classes, Lynn, and they're, uh, they have a place.
1: Some of them have a place in some investment portfolios. But on the other hand, uh, not all portfolios should have all classes. Hard assets like real estate and and oil and gas, we put in different portfolios. Precious metals, I don't have a great love for. Unlike direct, uh, indirect investments like stocks and bonds, many of these other types, however, can be purchased through direct participation like limited partnerships. And as a result, they offer unique advantages and disadvantages uh, considering things like liquidity and taxes. Some of these can give big tax advantages.
2: What's the best way to go about investing?
1: Well, there's no one preferred way, but a good way is dollar cost averaging if you've got money coming in over a regular basis.
3: If you want to accumulate enough to be financially independent, call me, Deborah Lewis, at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
1: Actually, there's a wonderful book that I like, Linda, called The Wealthy Barber, and it makes a strong case for accumulating wealth on a regular basis, month by month by month. Uh, If that's the way your money comes to you, Uh, then there are other ways to consider with regard to lump sums and trust and so forth. But in the dollar cost averaging methodology, what you're doing there is you're trying to keep yourself from timing the market and letting time, not timing, do the work for you. Then by diversifying and investing regularly, you're able to more likely earn a reasonable return since some investment markets over time rise in value and Others go down in value, but most of them will rise in value.
2: Now, a very serious question here. How does one avoid investment scams?
1: You know, Linda, it's a sad thing, but if you've been in this business as long as I have, you've seen the most amazing number of scams out there, and you're amazed at the greater fool theory. You know what the greater fool theory is? No. There's always a greater fool. There's always a greater fool. I mean, it's unbelievable the wise people that I've spoken to, the wealthy people who have Swallowed hook, line, and sinker.
2: They oh yeah, they buy those uh, the the pitch on the buying coins,
1: coins and gold, and what was that offshore trust that guy called you about? You remember that one?
2: Yeah.
1: How to cheat the United States out of all their taxes by a, a, a constitution- constitutional
2: constitutional trust. Well, that what it was yeah. called
1: the constitutional trust and oh, everything, man. and then the cellular telephone deals and the te- I mean, one after the other. One investment rule is if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And the second rule is never invest dollars as a result of a telephone pitch. The majority of investment scams are boiler room telephone operations. You should always demand a detailed prospectus and other financial offering materials before making any decision. You should refuse any buy now sales pitches and you should be working with a financial advisor, in my opinion.
2: What are some common investment mistakes that people make, Doug? Let's, let's review those very quickly.
1: Well, mistakes, uh, I guess the biggest mistake is they don't start soon enough. You know, an investment of $100 a month when you're 25 years old, if it grows at 8% and you reinvest everything, is going to be over a a third of a million dollars by retirement age. The second uh, mistake I guess people make is they don't develop any plan, any investment plan.
2: And they don't diversify their investments.
1: Big problem. You remember that one? Putting all
2: your eggs in one basket.
1: (laughs) I would tell you, as soon as somebody finds something they like, everything goes in. Everything goes in. Like the fellow that came to see you recently with $2 million, their one stock.
2: Right. And people often have unrealistic expectations.
1: Unrealistic expectations. Big problem. To earn higher returns, you usually have to take more risk. Lower risk usually means a lower return.
2: And... Most people don't invest for the long term, and basically what happens, you can reduce the risk of more volatile investments such as stocks. Correct?
1: If you do invest for the long term, that's exactly right. And another mistake people make is they don't take the responsibility for their own investments. They don't educate themselves about their investments. And they fail to keep a close eye on their investments. And
2: I get more people that call me and say, well, I've got this. I've got this retirement plan, but I'm not sure what it is or what's in it.
1: If your financial planner or your investment advisor isn't willing to explain the fundamentals of investing and the advantages and disadvantages of a specific investment you're considering, you should not work with that advisor.
2: And many people fail to take full advantage of their 401k plans, their IRAs, or any other tax advantage saving plans.
1: Those are the primary uh, mistakes people make, Lynn.
2: If you have any further questions or if we can be of any further assistance, um, you can call our office at eight seven two seven thousand in the Raleigh area, and we'll be happy to do what we can to assist you. As far as giving, what does a charitable trust do? Well... I
1: think the best way to understand how the trust works to uh, not share your wealth as much as enhance the total wealth position, how you can help yourself, your community, and your family. And you don't have to be a Ted Turner to really be able to do some good, even helping yourself do good. And you have to think of the trust in the form of six players. I like to call them players. There are six players in a charitable trust scenario. Okay. The first player is the donor. Right. Now, the donor is the person who sets up the trust and he gives something into the trust. Uh, if it's a business owner, he might give his stock into the trust. If it's a, uh, a person who has a stock portfolio, it might be he.
2: It, it may- might be someone who inherited a farm, right? but is not going to do farming. Exactly.
1: Uh, but the donor is the one who sets up the trust. And then he creates this trust and he names a trustee. And he gives something from himself to the trustee so the trustee is a very important player i like to have the trust set up so the client is his own trustee
2: set up a trust where the client is his own trustee right a self-trustee trust
1: well uh where he he identifies himself as the donor but also himself as the trustee then he gives from himself to himself so to speak And the third player after the trustee is called the income beneficiary. That's the person that the trustee pays.
2: All right, the income beneficiary.
1: And the fourth player is the charitable or the nonprofit beneficiary. And that's the person or the party or the non-profit that's going to get what's left after everybody dies and is gone.
2: Is that what's known as the remainderman?
1: Yes, they get the remainder of what's in the trust. After the trust is over and usually I like to run them after both people have passed away the husband and the wife now the income beneficiary can also be the same person as the donor and as the trustee but we have to be very careful when we do it this way because we want to make sure that there is no self dealing but if you do it this way the trustee again then gets to sell everything he gave that the donor gave to the trust and pay no capital gains tax and then reinvest the money in mutual funds and other normal investments. So it can be very powerful if you get the parties straightened out.
2: And what about the administrator?
1: The administrator is an important role. The administrator is the party that files the tax returns and keeps track to show the IRS that there's no hanky-panky. The sixth layer is the investment advisor. Exactly. That's the one that's going to invest all the money after you've sold everything. You want both the administrator and the investment advisor to be under employment by the
2: trustee. To any of our listeners, if you have a question or if you would like to receive our introductory packet of information, I'll be happy to send it to you. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That is USA 7000. Get a notebook and start jotting down some of those questions and work with a financial planner.
4: Barry
1: Doug Lewis, certified financial planner, how can I help you? Well, I just had a question about
5: the philosophy of inclusive WRAP fee funds versus more standardized mutual funds and what your position as a financial planner is on one versus the other.
1: Well, uh, and it's an interesting question. Generally, I won't take a philosophical call. Different professionals do it a different way. The thing that I feel is most important is that you find a financial planner who is doing financial planning. If you're just working with the world of investments and leaving out your estate issues, your income tax issues, your cash flow issues, your retirement issues, all of the other areas that a financial planner is trained to be working on, then you're really only running on two cylinders and you're cheating yourself and you shouldn't be dealing with a financial planner. And if you approach it that way, at least dealing with a real planner, you generally get more service and a more professional approach for less money than what you're going to get on a wrap fee arrangement at one of the brokerage firms. I know our fees are lower than the wrap fees that the brokerage firms charge, and we do the entire thing, the tax planning, the estate planning, the trust, the wills, the retirement planning, and everything. But it's a nice, easy way to make money with the RAP fees. There's no doubt about it. You don't have to do a thing. You just go ahead, and the money just comes to you, and and we see people that are doing that. I philosophically don't approve of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what I was
2: asking. uh, Yeah, and people sometimes want a more comprehensive service, and that's what a planner that does it traditionally, the way that Doug does it, can find. Okay.
1: Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for calling, Barry. You
2: You know, Doug, the uh, bottom line is that uh, people need to Find out what their money's doing for them, right? I mean, well, get more money, for your money.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's true. But I really think it's a service. It's value-added service. It's If you're going to a surgeon, then you ought to know that you're going to a surgeon and not not find one type of doctor versus another type of doctor. If you're going for a financial planner and for financial planning, you should be getting financial planning, not just money management.
2: If you would like some more information on this, I'll be happy to either send you some information or discuss it with you further, and you can call me at the office, and the number is 919 872 That's 919-USA-7000, and I'll be happy to do what I can to answer your questions.
1: Well, that's all the money matters we have time for today. So we want to thank all our listeners for joining us, and for any other questions you may have, call my office during the week and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time. In the meantime, have a great week. And remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake.